0: Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Happy 2024, church. How are we doing? Hey, we're here. I love the enthusiasm. So, thank you for joining us for this first sermon of 2024. Uh, we're going to come back to the book of Deuteronomy in a couple weeks, but I thought we would take the opportunity to kind of ask some questions about uh, what we're wanting to get out of what we do together as a congregation and as a way to help us reflect on our own heart, our own level of involvement. Uh, So uh, we've been given this high calling in Jesus Christ of what he wants us to do and what he expects from us. So we're just going to reflect on that a little bit this morning. And then next week, we have the Eugene Rally. We are going to be taken over by young people, it looks like. Uh, And I'm really excited about it. And thank you for everyone who's uh, volunteered to help make this uh, happen. Jonathan and Mackenzie have been very busy with all of this. But we have so many young people coming. And it speaks something to uh, the need that we have for events like this. And uh, these kind of things can be a special callous, catalyst—not callous—a special catalyst for a young person's faith. That they have these positive memories and associations, a time to reflect on the Lord, a time of great fun together. Uh, the Lord uses stuff like this. I have I, been blessed uh, by those events that I've got to participate in as a as a young man growing up. So next week, uh, Jonathan's dad, David Young, is going to be bringing our morning lesson. He's a really good preacher, so uh, I'm excited for that. Um, How many of you contemplated some changes you wanted to make in 2024? Have any of you flirted with the idea of a New Year's resolution? Okay, we got some flirters out there not a lot of real confident like this is it 2024 is when it's going to happen if I if I saw you jump up and shout praise the Lord or hallelujah or something like that I might have better feelings about the success of whatever you're contemplating see it's easier to uh, build these lists in our heads and uh Uh, The contemplation is easier than the execution when it comes to making big changes in our lives. And as I thought about things I wanted to work on for the new year, I realized that most of my ideas were related to my own personal physical well-being and they didn't include a whole lot about spiritual steps that I needed to be taking. And as I thought about just my spiritual goals were kind of not a whole lot this year. I was kind of convicted that not one goal that I had contemplated in my mind had anything to do with this church body here. Is that an awful thing for your preacher to admit? So I began to wonder, can you and I contemplate or even articulate the church of our dreams? What we're doing together here, what we would like it to be and become. Then we have to ask, is the church of my dreams the same as the church of God's dreams? What does the Lord dream about in regard to his desires from the Eugene Church of Christ and what we're doing here? So one of the things that we need to do is to come to terms with our own resistance uh, to making changes that we know will be good for us. This is from a a writer Christian thinker Ken Boa the normal Christian life is sadly not the abundant life of the Bible that God has called us to most Christians really aren't willing to go for broke we like our faith on our terms and when it doesn't come to us exactly on our terms which it never fully will We don't always handle that very well. Here's another idea. Suppose our failures occur, not in spite of what we were doing, but precisely because of it. Ooh. That one gets me. We have a part. in the mission of this church in the community that God has placed us in. We need to be honest about the ways that we have put God uh, and by extension the things of this church on the back burner. Not all of us, not all the time, and we have our seasons of ups and downs I spent some time this week reading uh, Christian thinker Francis Chan, his letters to the church. And he asked some good questions in that. One of them was this If God had it his way, what would our churches look like? Another way to phrase that would be Does the Eugene Church of Christ resemble the best version of the church that we read about in the New Testament? Is the mission that is described to the church in the New Testament our mission as well? How are we doing in regard to commitment, in regard to our zeal, in regard to really going after it and believing? You know, we know that people have problems. Calvin has problems. And churches are collections of people. And we put all of those problems together. You know, a lot of our New Testament is a collection of letters written to churches with problems. It's a lot of problems in churches. As a younger man, I was hyper aware of problems in the church. I could tell you in great detail everything that I thought was wrong with it, I had identified the people who were the problems. Kept running lists in my heads. In my head. I could give you names if you wanted names. There were times I didn't like my church. I would think there... I had... I love Churches of Christ. I had a real hard time with some of the legalism that, uh, that I've dealt with growing up at different times. I had a hard time with what I thought was a spirit of grumbling and complaining alive in a lot of what happened in churches. And there were times I didn't even want to invite people to my church. They, they wouldn't understand our church. Our, they should go over there. They're, maybe they would be better off, a better fit for this. Not my church. Uh. You know, I was not humble, I'm still working on that, largely blind to my own brokenness and everything that needed to change in me. Uh, But always those problems with the church were external. So and so did this, this is what's wrong with this, this is, and not very often was I reflective of my own heart as it relates to this church body. So uh, an interesting work, a guy named C.S. Lewis, you guys maybe know that name, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a cor- uh, 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 some letters of correspondence written from a diabolical perspective of a senior tempter to a junior tempting demon. So the senior demon Screwtape is trying to help his new tempting nephew, Wormwood, keep the new Christian uh, that, that Wormwood is working with, keep him uh, sliding in his faith, and slipping, and not committing, and uh, not, com- uh, not going deeper. And so this is some excerpts from letter 12. I won't, I won't inflict too much of, on, of this on you, but I think it's kind of telling. Uh, looking at things from this weird perspective— about how my own heart gets sucked into being distracted. Dear Wormwood, you will be gradually freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. You will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. All the healthy and ongoing outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return, so that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked, and doing nothing is very strong strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and it knows not why, in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, You are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from God, the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's diabolical. As an individual, but even as a church. You know, the devil doesn't need to destroy us through spectacular or traumatic events. He just needs to keep us from focusing on the Lord, from thinking about the Lord our God. Here's the way I kind of word it. The enemy of your soul doesn't need you cold toward Jesus. Lukewarm will do just fine. A lazy Christian, a distracted or indifferent Christian can oftentimes be just as effective as someone who's in outright rebellion. What diabolical suggestions would screw tape whisper into people's ear here at this church? This is an exercise in make believe. Maybe. Remind them how the church used them or took advantage of them. Remind them that the church expected too much of them and didn't really acknowledge them for their service. Remind them of the time when they really needed help from the church and no one lifted a finger to do anything. Remind them that they were not personally consulted over the paint color in the fellowship hall or the carpet squares in the atrium. Remind them how uncomfortable they feel when certain song leaders try to make them sing new songs. Let them focus on the technical performance rather than the heart behind that. Make them think about how they have closer friendships with people in the world than people in that they go to church with and just how messed up that is. Make their memories long to continue to hold grudges over things that happened 20 years ago and keep them remembering arguments they had with people who left this church a decade ago and keep them arguing with people who died 25 years ago. Have you ever known people who had an argument with someone who's dead and gone? What the enemy cannot accomplish through outright assault, he will try to accomplish through a few well-placed grumblers, a spirit of discontentment and complaining, a single power-hungry leader can derail entire churches sometimes, anything that distracts you from the mission that God has given us. It doesn't matter what that thing is. If it's distancing you from the Lord, we need to repent and we need to turn around. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not the giftedness that you bring or your talents not the organization and quality of our amazing programs here at church. It's not the skill of your preacher or your song leader. It's the quality of our love for each other. John tells us the proof that will leave the world speechless, that they cannot argue against, it comes down to the quality of love that we have for each other. And notice that Jesus doesn't say our love for him. 1 John talks a lot about this. How can you say, I, I love God, when you don't love your brother? It's a lot easier for most of us to love the Lord than the rascal sitting across the aisle from us. But it's our love for each other that is the miracle that the people of this world will not be able to refute. And what they need so desperately is a fellowship of people where the love of God is alive and well and active among them. So a beautiful thing happened this last week. I'm not going to name names because it's not for me to say and I don't want to embarrass anyone but I was part of a text group where one brother had the courage to share a need that he had. And then three different brothers responded right away, and help was given. Each of them dealing, uh, our, our guys dealing with their own things, and then they just respond in this outpouring of love. I didn't say anything. I didn't respond. I didn't do anything. I just watched these this beautiful string of events unfold via text message and it gives me hope. It gives me hope. No one's asking my permission to do this stuff. No one's waiting. They just see something good and there's a need and people go after it and they take care of it. Are you just waiting around in church, waiting to be told what you're supposed to be doing, which you already know what you're supposed to be doing? See, the way we grow in the kind of love for one another that proves the world to the world that we are Jesus' disciples, you don't get this love by just deciding one day, I need to be more loving. So, okay, I'm going to be more loving now. My mind's made up. It is a reality. I'm more loving. That's not the way you become more loving. You're incapable of just choosing to make yourself more loving in a moment, at a decision. Love is something that we cannot produce in and of ourselves. It is something that grows in us, and it grows by grace. Love grows when a church is actively involved and engaged in the mission of God. This is what I believe. And here's the trick of it. You don't have enough love for the mission of God. None of us do. Not even all of us combined as a community. You have to go on mission to find the love necessary To make the mission of God a reality and to make it work and that's where your faith comes in we have to step out in faith and trust knowing that the Holy Spirit will help us with everything we need if we have the faith to really go for broke with the Lord our God Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of the age. This commission has not changed from the time it was first uttered to now in our our time and day. The mission of God is something that we do. It's not just something we think about. We have a tremendous mission opportunity this next week with all of these young people coming to this church. I hope that you come and get involved Is the work of the Eugene Church of Christ the mission of God? These are the questions that I have to keep asking, and I want to invite you to ask those too. How am I personally involved in the mission of God? How are we doing that as a church? How am I doing that as an individual? Where do you have some skin in the game, so to speak, to use more colloquial language? So the sermon in a nutshell, how do we grow love for our brothers and sisters? First, brotherly love and all the love that we need for our relationships, it grows when we're involved in the mission of God. When we're not involved in God's mission, churches fall apart from a lack of unity, from grumbling and complaining over stuff that doesn't matter, a hill of beans. but when we're engaged in the mission of God, we don't have to ask for unity. Unity is going to be there. We don't have to ask for love. Love comes. If we are serious about the commission that Jesus gave about making disciples, He is going to equip us with everything we need. Individually, corporately, I believe this. The second thing to help us grow in our love for our brothers and sisters brotherly love grows when our love for God grows. There's a correlation between them. The most important commandment is this Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So I had a teacher who used to ask me the question, how many commands is this? How many commands is this? And I said, two. And he said, no. And I said, no, clearly this is two commands, love of God and love for neighbor. And that's why Jesus calls it the second. And this teacher said, no, this is just one command. And I never quite fully agreed with him, but it made me think for a while. And as I thought about it, I think he had a point When you love the Lord your God with everything you've got, you are necessarily going to grow in love for others as well. There's a compounding effect. If you are all in for Jesus Christ, Jesus brings a lot of people with him everywhere he goes. And he helps us learn to love them as well. As I love God, my love will naturally go where God's love goes. Where does God's love go? Love just isn't something that God does. It's who he is. As love grows, love takes over. And we become less and less concerned with questions like, well, who do I love the most? I love the least. And who is the most deserving of my love? And who doesn't deserve my love? As you grow in love, you stop asking questions like this. How much, how much does God the Father love Jesus? Have you ever thought about, I know it's dangerous to put yourself in God's place, but did you ever think about How delighted God is with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us a a glimmering of, of what that beauty looks like and what it feels like. What did they say about Jesus Christ? They said, He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why did the Messiah behave that way? He was just following the love of His heavenly. It says of the Lord our God, He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. The love of God will lead us into some strange relationships. Are we open to it? Are we open to those strange love relationships that the... You know... uh, We can't compromise on holiness. We can't compromise on truth. But we have to learn how to disciple each other and understand that when people come through these doors, me included, and I've been at this for a long time, there's a certain amount of baggage that I still bring. The perfection is in the Lord our God. And in a community of love that I pour into and I commit myself to, we maybe have a shot at doing something really amazing together. That's my hope for what we do this year. Are you a willing pupil of the Holy Spirit? What am I talking about? If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read John 14, 15, 16, for example, and you'll know what I'm talking about. The Spirit leads us into the mission of God and the Spirit leads us to places and situations where love of God and neighbor, it's going to grow. You can trust that. If you're growing in admiration and love and awe for the Lord your God, if you're beginning to be able to relate in a new kind of miraculous way with a person who has been very difficult, the Spirit leads us into those places. Those are places where we grow So here's a few suggestions for getting the most out of what we do, just talking uh, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, if you're involved. These are kind of just practical suggestions. Do you come to worship well-rested? I know sometimes we have a hard time with sleep and stuff like that. But you know what? I am incredibly boring if you were up till 2 a.m. playing or xbox or whatever it is i'm so boring if you're hung over there's nothing i can really say do you pray for me i know some of you love my preaching and are so grateful for the ministry of the word that i've been entrusted with i know my preaching doesn't connect with everyone I don't have a problem with that. I'm okay with that. I'm trying to do my part to do better at that all the time. Do you pray for me? Do you pray for our song leaders? Do you pray for our leadership and our elders and all of those? Who, do you pray for our children's classes? There's so much that if we just learn to lift these things up to the Lord... Do you come to worship with anticipation? Do you ask the Lord to show you something or teach you something? I guarantee if you wrestle with the Lord in prayer, Lord, I need to hear your word. I need to hear something from you. It might not be me or this sermon, but the Lord is going to make sure you hear that word. You have to be patient sometimes. We're not always good at that either. How are you involved in the work of this church? How do you have skin in the game? You know, the people who learn to teach, any of you who have been involved in the level of teaching, you also know that it makes you a better student. You learn discipline when you try to do these things. You become familiar with particular topics. You start to ask new questions. You appreciate and identify more with the people who have been entrusted with teaching and seem to do it with some level of grace or competence uh, through, through the Lord's help. How do you fight against distraction and your own diminishing attention span? There's nothing more boring than church when you're the kind of Christian who treats faith like a spectator sport. it's not going to have a lot of value to you. It's not going to have a lot of meaning to you. If you just stop complaining about things that you see wrong, even if you don't articulate those things, and you just go and try to help out, I think that religious consumerism is the scourge of the American church where you come and you just are consuming religious goods and services I I need an uplifting word I didn't connect with the worship this week or any week the way they do it in churches of Christ my goodness or whatever I'm not here to entertain you I'm not here to coddle you I'm not here to... I cannot out-glitz and entertain this world. I got a little dance in me sometimes. But I cannot out-compete. And that's not what we're about. We're about fixing our eyes on the Lord our God and honoring Him in our midst. And you need to be active in your involvement in that. That's our lesson. The two things that I measure about what I want for this church is are we we loving the Lord our God with all that we got and our neighbor as ourself? And are we involved in His mission, the commission that He's given us to go make disciples? grow the mission of God, grow in love for God and neighbor, to move from apathy to action, to move from indifference to dedication. Discipleship is the way forward. If you don't know this word discipleship, if you're not sure what I mean, I've been here five and a half years. I talk about this all the time. It's time to wake up and pay attention. This is just questions that I've been asking as we've been given this opportunity for the new year. Asking hard questions of our hearts and our commitments and where we're at and where we would like to go, these are important questions to ask. These are important things to give time and energy to. Um, We're a little bit late getting around to it, but we're going to start our new guys' sauna discipleship group. Uh, Upcoming weeks, we're a little later getting at it this year. It's just been a busy calendar schedule. We got the rally to get behind us. Uh, We've got our family camp coming in March. but i'm going to be speaking to several of you about ways that we can be evolved in doing that again so we had a whole group of eight guys who did this this last year uh, and we were blessed in it we were, we are closer now and have and that some of that has continued to trickle on and we'll meet at the hoffman some on a sunday night and those relationships are raw they're honest and we're holding each other accountable we're saying tough stuff but they've been a real blessing for us. So uh, keep your ears listening for that. And if you would like to be involved in something like that, come talk to me. I don't care if, you know, uh, you're, I don't know the cutoff age. 88, I heard, 92, 93, I don't care. If you're younger, uh, I don't want to necessarily expose all of the baggage of grown men to, like young guys, but if you feel some calling, come talk to me. We need to have our focus the right place. So uh, Jim, you can come up. This is our sermon. I always like this lady, Corey Tenboom. If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. You know, when we get our eyes focused where they need to be, when we get concerned and intentional about loving God and each other, when we get concerned with the mission of God, The Spirit of God helps us do that in a way that is healthy and helps us do that in a place of rest. I don't want to be going through the motions, and I don't want to be faking it. Not as your minister, not as a disciple of Jesus. we got tremendous opportunities ahead of us. And I hope you think about some of these things. And how you want to be involved and how you want to honor the Lord your God. That's our sermon today. So next week, the Eugene rally. And the week after that, we got some more uh, work to do in the book of Deuteronomy. Having our eyes fixed on things above makes all the difference that we need to live this Christian life. (coughs) If you need uh, the prayers of this church, if you would like to... uh, Take the next steps in your discipleship journey through baptism. We always offer an invitation at the end of my sermons to make a time where that's uh, available to you and you can come talk to me. I stand up here over on the side. But let's go ahead and stand and